and welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated, and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can also subscribe on Podbean, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email him at eric.anderson, that's E-R-I-K dot A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N at nllutheran.com. Let's get growing. Our scripture reading this morning comes to us from Matthew, the 24th chapter. Who then is the faithful and wise slave whom his master has put in charge of his household to give the other slaves their allowance of food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master will find at work when he arrives. Truly, I tell you, he will put that one in charge of all of his possessions. But if that wicked slave says to himself, my master is delayed, and he begins to beat his fellow slaves and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour that he does not know. He will cut him to pieces and put him with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The gospel of the Lord serve you well. Well, I'm Pastor Ben. It's my privilege this morning to share God's truth with you. But as we've been in this crisis, there's been kind of a word of the day, kind of a buzzword, and it's the word essential, right? What's essential? What's non-essential? Who's essential? And who defines essential? Now, I don't know about you, but over the last number of weeks, I've gotten in a, a few tiffs with my wife. Tiffs is the, the Christian way to say just a, a blow-up fight, right? Gotten a few tips with my wife about this idea of what is essential, especially when it comes to money, right? Is that essential to purchase or is that not essential to purchase? Because the truth is right now, a lot of us have this tension in that regard, right? What is essential to buy? What's not essential to buy? Because there's just a higher emotion right now. Because for many of us, we don't know if there's a paycheck on the horizon, which means every dollar matters. Now, we haven't always seen eye to eye on this topic, but it just seems to be amplified right now. In fact, a year ago, in, in more normal times, we got into a little conversation about this. It, it actually involves my, my beautiful, bright green Kawasaki Ninja motorcycle. And, and some of you guys actually probably remember this story, but we got into a conversation of what was more essential, my motorcycle or getting a minivan. Now, as I watched my motorcycle get loaded up onto the trailer and taken away, I will tell you by the emotion that I felt inside my being that I was convinced that my motorcycle was essential. But I, like you right now, am learning to redefine what essential is. Our government right now is, is defining essential, right? There's people who they have deemed as essential workers and those who are, are non-essential workers, right? People who have to work or get to work like normal, and those of the rest of us who have to figure out new and creative ways to work from home, or maybe we're not working at all. Now, I got to say, I'm really glad I'm not the governor or the president right now, because those are very tough calls to make 
And I'm glad I'm not having to think through those things and make those decisions. And I'm so much, much happier that I don't have to enforce those decisions either. What a difficult spot to be in. But they're not the only ones having the conversation, and we're not the only ones having the conversation. There's a lot of businesses right now. There's a lot of bosses right now. There's a lot of CEOs right now that are having the same conversation, right? Who is essential and who is not essential? Who's essential to the well-being of my business to keep it going through this crisis? And maybe who isn't as essential? They don't offer as much. And they're having a lot of hard conversations. Who do we keep? Who do we not keep? Who do we lay off? Who do we keep on salary? And I believe after this crisis, a lot of those conversations are going to lead to some terminations, unfortunately, because these bosses in a, in a much worse economy don't have the luxury of employing a lot of people who aren't getting a lot done, which means those conversations are going to lead to, oh, maybe this person doesn't actually offer that much. Maybe that person actually isn't giving us enough for the amount of money that they make. And I believe, unfortunately, a lot of people will be terminated after that time. Well, as we step into part six of our sermon series on the greatest stories ever told, we actually encounter a story very much like this. A conversation about a boss having to make hard decisions about his employees. Now, if you're stepping in for the first time, we actually have been in this conversation. Like I said, this is part six. And so you can go to our website and catch up part one all the way through part five. But the reason that I want you to catch up is because these stories are truly the greatest stories ever told. Told by the greatest storyteller ever to walk the face of the earth, Jesus Christ. And I believe they have the power to transform your life because that's what Christ was doing. He wasn't just entertaining people. He was transforming people. And he was teaching them earthly and spiritual truth, things that could change how they live their lives and change how they saw the world. So please engage with those conversations if you've missed out on any. But today it's time to move forward. And I'm happy to move forward because I love this story. And I love this story because it has real life application, but it also has spiritual application, which means if you're watching today, you're tuning in and you're not a believer in Christ, but you're just curious, or maybe you're bored, right? And as you're stepping into this conversation, you're actually going to get something from this. It doesn't matter if you believe or not, but also there's a second layer to this. There's a deeper meaning to this. There's eternal truth, which means for Christians, for followers of Christ, there's something so rich and deep and challenging in this conversation. And this is where we find the story in the book of Matthew. And this is what Jesus says. Who then is the faithful and wise slave? So as Jesus begins this story, he, he uses a word that kind of throws up a red flag for us as Americans, right? So let me just address the elephant in the room. It's the word slave, now, we all know the history. We have a horrible history with slavery in our world. A lot of people in America, unfortunately, in, in the past were mistreated because they were slaves. And that's a horrible history that we're never going to disconnect from. It's a reality that will always be there. And so as Americans, when we hear this word slave, we hear it differently. In fact, when we read the word slave in the Bible, we get a little nervous in fact, maybe for you, if you've walked away from Christ or you've never even considered Christ, this might be one of those reasons, right? You, you, you read this word slave and you see like there's a positivity connected with it and you think, how can the Bible be true 
Or how can the ethics of the Bible be trustworthy when Jesus seems to be speaking positively about slavery? And I get that tension. Right? I understand why that might be a struggle for you, and so I don't want that to be a roadblock for you. I want you to understand that this is not what Christ is implying because Hebrew slavery and American slavery are very different. So let this not be a roadblock for you. Don't let this be a roadblock for you to defend your faith. And so let's just spend a little time before we get into Christ's story. Let me help you understand the difference because I don't want this to be the reason that Christ isn't able to speak into your life this morning. So let's talk about it. Right, there's American slavery, which you guys already know very well, right? You went to school, you took history classes, and you've seen the evils of slavery in America. So I don't need to rehash that. But let's talk about Hebrew slavery. Hebrew slavery was something very, very different because Hebrew slavery was completely voluntary. Now that might sound odd, and that might sound odd because who in the world would want to be a slave? Who would choose to be a slave? Well, the answer is debt. You see, there was a lot of rules on the books for Jewish people, for Hebrew people. One of them was that they couldn't enslave people, but they also had this other thing that they had 0% loans. They actually weren't allowed to charge interest on loans. So if you borrowed money to somebody and they had to pay you back, sooner or later that bill came due, right? And so if people offered 0% loans, you can see that a lot of people would have taken them. It might have taken them and then taken more to pay off that loan, and it became an issue. Sooner or later, they had to pay the debt, and so how do they pay the debt? They stepped into slavery, right? They stepped into a season of slavery to pay the debt. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's pretty horrible, right? Because wouldn't people take advantage of that? Wouldn't people who had money give out a whole bunch of loans until they had a whole bunch of slaves because all these people owed them money? And they would just keep them as slaves for the rest of their life? Now the answer is no. Because built into their law and built into their rules is that slavery could only last for a maximum of six years. Now you might be thinking, okay, that's, that's not too bad, but it's still pretty horrible because isn't it true that in slavery you beat people and kill people and so wouldn't you just mistreat them for six years or kill them off? And then what does it matter if they let you go at six years if you're not able to be let go? And the answer was they had rules for that too. In fact, if you beat a slave, you had to release the slave from his debt. And if you killed a slave, you would be killed as well. So they had very, very, very strict rules. In fact, there was some positivity to it as well. After six years, this was part of their rules, is that they actually had to give you a generous gift. So if you owed the money, you took on this, this, this idea of a debt slave, and you served them well for six years, or you served them for six years, they would give you a gift to set you up well for your next season of life. Now, in fact, some masters were so good that they had another rule on the books. And what they allowed them to do was to step into lifelong slavery, which sounds crazy, doesn't it? But the reason they would do that is because if their master was treating them well, if their life was better under his rule instead of their own, they actually could go through a formal ceremony. They had pierced their ear and show that they were saying, I am yours for life. In fact, as Christians, we have something similar, don't we? We go to the font, we get baptized, and we say, you are my king. I trust you with my life more than I trust myself with my life. I'm going to follow you, and I am yours forever. I am your slave. I am your servant. 
forever. Now, as we work through the Bible, we switch from the Old Testament, which is what I was just talking about, to the New Testament. Now, all throughout the Bible, there's other nations doing forms of slavery that were really, really horrible, like the Egyptians in the Old Testament on the Jewish people. But as we step into the New Testament, the major people who were in charge at that time were the Romans, right? The Roman Empire had pretty much subjugated the entire known world. But even their form of slavery wasn't like the slavery that we have in our past as Americans. You see, they had slavery for really three major reasons. They had slavery because of prisoners of war. So if they defeated you, you had an option. You can become my slave or I'm going to kill you. And a lot of people chose slavery instead. They also had that debt form of slavery, right? If you owed them money, you could step yourself into slavery to pay off your debt. And they also had a form of slavery where if you were really, really poor and you thought a better life would be a slave of a rich person, you could opt into that as well. But even their form of slavery was not based on race like we have known it in, in our past. In fact, the New Testament speaks a lot about slavery and, and how as, as Christians, we should actually engage with our slave owners. It tells us that we should be good servants to our owners, that we should love them well and take care of them well and serve them well. It also says something to Christians who had slaves. It says, treat these people like they're your brothers and sisters, which of course the strong implication is you don't have slaves who are your brothers and sisters, right? Let them go, release them. In fact, the Bible was so clear on its anti-slavery understanding that in the 1800s, when slavery was a, a big deal around our world and unfortunately uh, still affecting us here in America, is that they had this, this Bible that they specially created called the Slave Bible. And you might have actually heard of this before, but there was people who actually took out large sections of the Bible before they gave it to the slaves. And the reason that they did this is because the Bible, time and time again, has a very different picture of slavery. And they knew that if these slaves read the whole Bible, that they actually would revolt and realize that they had incredible value in Christ and they would turn on their owners and run away. You see, the Bible has a, a very different understanding of slavery. So as we step into this story of Christ, and as we read this word slave, it's better to understand it as a voluntary action to lower yourself to serve somebody else. It's better to think of it as an employee, right? We lower ourselves. We let somebody else tell us what to do so we get a paycheck. So as Jesus starts this story, what he's asking is, who is the wise and faithful employee? And then he goes on. Whom his master has put in charge of his household to give the other slaves their allowance of food at the proper time. So as we step into Christ's story, we see three major people in this conversation, right? There's the initial employee we're talking about, the, the wise and faithful employee. We have the master who's the boss or the business owner. And then we have the other employees that this guy is serving, right? And so we see that he has a very specific job description. He is like the boss. He's like the foreman, right? The faithful servant has, has been given power to watch over these people, to serve them well, to make sure they're fed, to make sure they're, they're doing their job. That's his role. But as Christians, as we read the Bible, we know already that Christ has something more at play, right? He's talking about earthly, earthly things, but he's weaving in heavenly truth. 
And so we see the employee as ourself. We see the master as Jesus. And we see the other employees that we're serving as the rest of the people in the world. And in our story, in the Bible, we see that we actually have some job descriptions. We call them the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, which is, if I just summarize them really quickly, would be to love the king, to love others, and to connect others to the king, right? To love the king, to love others, and connect people to the king. That's our job description, right? That's what we're supposed to do as good and faithful employees. Well, Jesus goes on. Blessed is that slave whom his master will find at work when he arrives. So when the employer shows up, right, when the boss shows up, if he shows up and and this employee is working hard, it will be good for him. Now we all get this. If you're a boss, if you're a coach, if you're a teacher, if you have any authority whatsoever, and I know you probably do in some sphere, you get this, right? You hire the employee, you have an athlete, you have a student, and you have an expectation for them. The rules are normally very clear, right? This is what you're supposed to do. This is your job description. These are the expectations that I have for you. And every boss or every person in that leadership role knows the last thing that you want to do is discipline people. The last thing that you want to do is to have to push people to get something done because they just won't do it. These aren't the type of employees or athletes or students that you want, right? You want the people who are motivated and just do what they're supposed to do because if they would just do what they were supposed to do, your job would be so much easier and their life would be so much better. So Jesus says something that we all know. If someone does what they're supposed to do, they will be blessed. And then he goes on. Truly, I tell you, he will put that one in charge of all of his possessions. So what happens to this good employee? The good employee gets blessed, right? He gets a promotion. You all get this, right? If your boss sees that you are an essential worker, that you are a top-tier worker, that you work hard, you find more stuff to do, and you're very efficient with your time, guess what happens? You get a raise, right? You get promoted, You keep moving up the food chain, and we all get this. In fact, as we read through Scripture, we we have sections of Scripture that that point to this reality. One of the sections of Scripture that you probably know, it says these words, that God will not give us more than we can handle. Now, typically, when we read these words or we hear these words, we're talking about times of trial, right? Okay, I'm going through this sickness or this illness. I'm fighting cancer. I'm going through a divorce but I know this promise that God will not give me more than I can handle, right? So I can get through this. I can fight through this. With God by my side, I can get through everything. And that's a great use of that section of scripture. But the opposite is true as well, that God will not bless you more than you can handle, which means sometimes when we don't have enough and we're living in that small apartment And we're just grinding it out to pay the bills that God is preparing us for something more. Which means if we work hard and we strive and we get where he wants us to go, that God can give us more because we can handle more. Well, Jesus moves on. But if that wicked slave says to himself, my master is delayed. And so as Jesus goes on with the story, the story begins to shift 
right? Maybe it's not a wise and faithful slave, or maybe this is a different slave, right? A different employee, a bad employee, a non-essential employee. And that person, when they realize the master is gone, they're thinking, oh, the master is delayed. There's no one watching over me. There's no one to discipline me. There's no one to motivate me. And so what do they do? They do what those type of employees do. This is what Jesus says. And he begins to beat his fellow slaves and eats and drinks with drunkards. Once this guy realized the master is not coming back, or at least not coming back promptly, once he realizes that the, the master or the boss isn't looking over him at all times, he thinks, I can do whatever I want to do and no one will notice, right? I guess I am in charge now. And so what does he do with his authority? And what does he do with his power? He hurts others and he hurts himself. And so often this is the case, unfortunately. When we think we're in charge, when we think God isn't coming and God isn't watching, we take our authority and we use it for evil. And so this is what Jesus says about this guy. And the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour that he does not know. Now this guy has some problems because the master is going to show up sooner or later and he's going to see what's going on. He's going to see that he is not a good worker. He's going to see that he's using his authority to hurt others and to also abuse his own body to waste his life away. And when the master shows up, he's going to catch this guy by surprise. Now, I get what this guy was thinking, right? The boss is away, and so when the boss is away, we play, right? We've all said that before or thought that before. Of course, that's not good, but we, we've thought that before or been a part of a culture like that before. Or maybe we thought, hey, the, the boss is away, but when the boss is away, surely I will know when he's about to return. And when he walks into the room, what am I going to do? I'll put my nose down on the keyboard. I'm going to type, 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 type and really look like I'm doing something. I'll close, I'll minimize solitaire, and I'll get the job done when he shows up. Or maybe we think he's never going to show up. And so Jesus moves on with the story. When the boss returns, he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, this is when Jesus' story takes a really harsh turn this is when Jesus' story, which everyone would have heard as maybe a TED Talk at this point in time, if they weren't really understanding where he was going, realized he's talking about something far more serious. He's not talking about Hebrew slavery. He's not talking about employment. He's talking about things of eternity because to behave this way as a boss would be illegal. He's talking about heaven and he's talking about hell. He's saying, when I come back, and that employee and that person has not lived their life following me, hasn't wanted to follow me or, or listen to me, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut them to pieces. I'm going to destroy them. He says, these are, would be considered as hypocrites, enemies of God, and I'll put them in the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is hell, where the place is that people are in so much agony that they grind their teeth, and they're so angry at God that they grind their teeth. They put all their blame on God and haven't taken the blame on themselves. This is hell. And hell is the place where people actually choose to go. Because here's the truth. 
God extends his hand to everyone. Everyone. He wants to be in a relationship with everyone. But not everyone takes his hand. Some people actually reject his hand. They don't want a relationship with God. And so God, in eternity, doesn't force them into that relationship. If they don't want that relationship with God in this life, then he's not going to force them into that relationship with him in the next life. But for all those who take his hand, all those who want that beautiful relationship with him in this life, they get that relationship with him in the next life. But for everyone else who rejects God in this life, they go to a place where they're completely separated from God, a place that can only be described as hell. So here's the big question for us today. Here, here's the big underlying question, the thing that's going to challenge us and make us think about our lives and think about our eternity. The question is this, are you essential? Right? Are you essential? Now, of course, this works in our everyday, right, real-life application. Are, are you essential? If, you're, if your boss comes into the room right now, if you're working throughout the week and the boss walks in, does he find you working hard, being efficient, doing what you're supposed to be doing, or does he find you slacking off, right? Are you the wise and faithful employee at this point in time, or are you the bad employee? Are you essential? Now, here's something I, I tell a lot of younger people, and I believe it's good for all of us, is that your boss sooner or later is going to have to make a hard decision on who's essential and who's not essential. Who's a part of the conversation? Who's not a part of the conversation? And I think this is so important. Don't put him in that spot. Be a good worker. Be hardworking and efficient and do more than you're supposed to do so that when they have to have conversations like this, they realize you're so important to the team and you're so important to your job that you do not get fired. In fact, I believe that every Christian on planet Earth should never be considered non-essential because we don't work for our bosses. We don't work for our companies. We work for God. And if we're working for God, we should be the hardest workers available. We should be the people that no one wants to get rid of unless they absolutely can't help it. So are you essential? Right? That's the real world application. But here is the eternal application. Are you essential. If the king comes back, is he going to find a faithful and wise servant of the king? Or is he going to find something else? Is he going to find somebody that's serving him and following in his ways and making amazing things happen for the kingdom? Or is he going to find somebody who doesn't really care about him anymore? See, here's the scary thing when it comes to this conversation. Most everyone actually doesn't have a Palm Sunday experience where they're worshiping God one day and saying, crucify him the next day. It normally doesn't work like that. It's actually a slow process. It's a day by day and week by week and month by month and year by year where you think, ah, oh, Jesus isn't that important. Right? It's not that important to me to read my Bible or to go to church. I'll put other stuff in the way. And slowly over time, you realize that you've drifted. And now you're asking yourselves very different questions of not what's more important, Jesus or this, but you're asking yourself, 
is Jesus actually ever coming back? Or maybe the bigger question, was Jesus ever real? You see, someday the king will return. And this will be the question. Are you essential? Are you in or are you out? Have you taken my hand or have you not? And the only way to make sure that you have grabbed on the hand, the only way to make sure that you do not fall away, the only way to make sure that Christ is central in your life is to make sure that he's essential in everything that you do.